0: All right. Lots happening in the markets. And, uh, you know, with OPEC making a major announcement overnight that was unexpected, I think they just like to keep the Money Talk uh, crew on their toes. Uh, so we're going to welcome to make sense of all of this in our studio in Admiralty, Andrew Sullivan, founder of Asian Market Sense. Andrew, good morning. Good morning. All right. And joining us from the uh, on the line from the United States is Ben Emmons, principal and senior portfolio manager at New Edge Wealth. Uh, good evening, Ben. Thank you very much. Hey, great. Uh, guys, uh, big news with OPEC overnight. Ben, I, I know you've got some some strong views on that. What, what do you make of this 1.1 million barrel per day cut in production?
1: Yeah, that was definitely a surprise, Andrew, because, um, you know, first of all, the meeting was going to happen tomorrow, as your colleague mentioned, in the, in, in the leading in segment. And and most of all, it was really thought of like, this is not going to change much of any policy at this moment, because. One of the major oil mani- main oil ministers had said so. So this is really catching the market off guard, and you can tell the oil prices are are jumping by about seven eight percent. Really, because you know you're now dealing with spare capacity in at OPEC that's going to decline quite a bit. May lead to some you know like tightening of the market, uh, and therefore uh, once again seeing oil prices uh, maybe reaching like eighty five dollars a barrel.
0: Hmm. Uh, Andrew, uh, you know, we woke up to this news, uh, but I think you had oil on your radar. What what do you figure?
2: Well, I think the OPEC is looking at its own decision and it's looking at whether or not there's going to be a global slowdown. Um, I mean, it's obviously very in touch with uh, what China's doing uh, and the number of the other growth markets. So, uh, you know, it's being preemptive to try and protect its own position. But it will mean that obviously the inflation risks grow for a number of countries.
0: Yeah, because I mean, the news that we got on Friday was that uh, the core uh, price, price index was showing that inflation was going down. And this happens over the weekend. It, it seemed like it was enough to tip the, uh, the NASDAQ futures index from, from uh, green to red territory. I mean, how long is it going to take for the markets to factor in this news?
2: Well, I think there'll be a quick reaction, but I think the key thing is that you know, there are parts of inflation that, that are remaining persistently high. Uh, energy costs were coming down, but this is going to reverse part of that decline. Uh, and, and food costs remain high as well, so you know, there's persistent inflation there, which rather indicates that the, the Fed is more likely to keep rates higher, as it's been saying, than it is to, to cut quickly. Yeah,
0: Ben? Yeah, I would agree with that. and In
1: fact, I think that as this oil price jumps a bit further, the the market will try to price in a a full 25 basis point hike for the May meeting. It currently is, isn't priced exactly because, exactly as Andrew's Andrew was saying, like you, you have inflation that's too persistent. And yes, inflation has come off from because of energy, because of lower gas prices. Uh, but the, actually, the number on Friday it was like what they call super core which the Fed has now been tracking more closely, that services uh, minus housing, minus energy, that was actually higher than expected. So if you add on here now, again, an energy effect that's coming through perhaps in the next couple of weeks, yeah, then the market will reprice the, the tightening path of the Fed against upward, um, and, and that will be a big change from the last few weeks.
0: Mm. And I mean, if oil, i mean, if oil, you know, let's say oil climbs up $80 a barrel, $90, we, we did live with $100 oil for quite some time but we didn't have interest rates in the same elevated position i
2: yeah. think that's
0: very true i mean no. it's it's a whole new uh whole new scenario and i mean
2: that's the whole thing we've seen with interest rates rising we've had this bank crisis we've had you know more persistent inflation it it's really uh coming home that uh, you know some of the unintended consequences of raising interest rates as quickly as has had to be raised uh is impacting the economies mm-hmm. ben
1: Yeah, it is. And I think that that we can't really get out of this so quickly, so easily as some people hope for. Meaning, you know, you get weakness of the economy and people assume automatically inflation is going to decline very rapidly. And then you're getting new shocks like this. Like, you know, this was totally unexpected, obviously. So um, we're going to be living with higher interest rates for some time to come for the next number of years. Kind of the opposite of what we dealt with for the last pre-pandemic when we had very low interest rates, and so that leads to, to uncertainty, that right? leads to volatility. And I think that this is why you're seeing these on and off phases of people getting very cautious and risk, and risk then subsequently going back to very on modes. I think that's going to continue to be the interplay in markets.
0: I mean, high, high oil prices and high interest rates starts to sound like the 1970s. I don't think we're quite there yet, but I mean, uh, <laughs> do either, either of you two have a historical take on that?
2: Well, I think you're you're quite right. I mean, and we've we lived, you know, I think the Fed's expectation that it's going to get interest rates down to 2% as a long-term average is probably optimistic. Um, it's, you know, it's not the historic long-term average. It's only the long-term average because we've had quantitative easing, which has never been unwound. Mm. And, and I think this week, you know, we're seeing a lot of the PMI data that's going to start coming through again.
0: Yeah. And I mean, but I mean, is it different this time? Now the you know maybe a big difference from then is now the United States is a major major energy producer. I mean, they could uh, kick off fracking. Even Joe Biden's opening to more drilling in in uh, in Alaska. Uh, I mean, is 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 America a little bit better insulated from this? Maybe Japan more exposed because of its energy dependence. Ben? Yeah, it's
1: actually Japan is a very um sensitive trade balance to to the change in in the price of oil. And there was news overnight that Japan is actually looking into purchase Russian oil above the price gap. Another geopolitical aspect, I guess, to the story, but it indicates that Japan, as its economy has now also reopened again from the pandemic, uh, is really facing a a crunch there in terms of energy prices and, and needs to have more supply, right, in order to control it. So... I think this is a, uh, a an effect that will ripple more globally, even though the U.S. is maybe in a better position. Uh, still, though, we've depleted our, our strategic uh, petroleum reserve quite a bit with the uh, the interventions that we saw last year. And that, too, the, the Biden administration may have missed an opportunity here to purchase oil oil cheaper at a lower price than what it is right now. That's another political aspect of this domestically here, why they didn't replace it.
2: Petroleum <laughs> I think the other thing you've also got to remember is back in the 70s, we were seeing China coming online and being a very cheap manufacturing base. And obviously that's not the case either this time around.
0: Yeah, China's a whole different player. I mean, who, who does stand to benefit from this outside of the obviously the OPEC countries? But I mean, are, are you looking at other places like uh, Canada, uh, Malaysia, other oil producers that, that could have some upside from this?
2: Yeah, I think they'll have some upside, but I think the other thing is you you've got to look at, you know, domestically they'll probably do quite well, but export-wise they're not huge exporters in the in the global market. So a slight domestic advantage, but uh, I think, you know, you've you've got to look certainly in Asia at some of the smaller economies uh being more constrained by what's happening in China. And of course China's going to be impacted by this as well.
0: Yeah, I mean, where where does China I mean is China cut some long-term deals with Russia to get cheap access, regardless of where the price goes? Have they have they locked in some deals, maybe?
2: Well, oh, I think certainly both on on oil and gas, and and certainly China's you know made huge overplays into the Middle East and and with Saudi Arabia uh, for oil supplies from there as well and Iran.
0: Yeah, yeah, Ben, Ben, what's your take on where uh, you know where this puts China?
1: Yeah, it puts it in a very uh, strong bargaining position and. You know, this may also be playing into China's demand for oil, right, in terms of, you know, cutting its production on the one hand, but on the other hand, it's closing these deals uh, with China, you know, with Saudi Arabia and and Russia, and that's a very um, specific angle, I think, to the story. You know, the other beneficiary, by by the way, is, of course, Russia, right, which has been able to not only export its, its oil around the globe, but as oil prices somewhat recover here, they can again sell oil at a, at a higher price, so I think this is this is a, there's a very geopolitical aspect to this decision. I feel, uh, how this was times, and and therefore China is indeed in, in the center of this, in terms of having the ability to secure uh, energy supplies while negotiating um, uh, the price, basically, so that they're actually in a beneficial position.
0: Hmm. All right. Uh, you know, talking geo. Oh, sorry, Andrew. Did you want to kick in? No no, no, no. I mean, talking geopolitics. Uh, a couple of years ago, it was very fashionable to call data the uh, the oil of the 21st century, uh, and the geopolitical theme. We, we got some big news on on chips. Mainland China is going to be launching its first security related investigation into an American chip making company. Uh, a little bit of a uh, turning the tables on on the U.S. Uh, and they're going to be investigating Micron Technology, uh, who you know do about more than 10 percent of their sales in China theoretically their products could be uh, replaced by things that are available in the Chinese market. But what what is your, you know, if I can get your guys take on, on where we go on the chips front, because this is quite, quite important.
2: I think, I think China is going to be more reactionary. I mean, it, it suffered sanctions really going back to when, uh, when Trump went after ZCE and, and Huawei. Mm. Um And it's been reasonably complacent in, in its reactions so far, but obviously this is starting to hurt it. it uh now that you've got Japan and the Netherlands and a number of other countries supporting America's um, curtailment on its access to the higher technology, um, it's going to have face real problems.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, Ben, is are people talking about it over where you are?
1: Yeah, they are, and I, I think you know the, the Chips Act that we that we have here as law, I mean that that's being considered a, a significant um, boost to domestic uh, chip supply. In, in the in the future. And although it will take time to get the plans fully up and running in, in states like Arizona, uh, the investment behind it is, is going to be material for the U.S. economy. So, it, it, again, here's another situation where uh, the U.S. is trying to position itself towards China with a, a more um, security in terms of, of, uh, of having chips available, given what happened during the pandemic when there was a, uh, a real shortage of it. And, the effect that that actually had on the supply chain, but specifically on the U.S. supply chain, I think this is—you um, know—these are meaningful shifts, and I, I think that this is puts China that puts China actually in, a, in not in a good position, as it were, before.
0: Yeah, and I mean, you know, so we have the the Chip Four alliance with uh, the U.S., Taiwan, Japan, Korea. Is is China trying to send a message to them? Maybe the Dutch, other people that are considering. Uh... Uh, you know, putting some kind of restrictions on, on chip export to China? I think they're trying to make, you know, strong overtures that, uh,
2: you know, people are, uh, you know, just backing with America. But the, the reality is, is a lot of this is American technology, uh, its proprietary IP, um, and, uh, and and China has, uh, you know, or America feels that China's taken advantage of its own
0: advances uh, uh, to
2: its disadvantage, and, and hence it's going to try and curtail it. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, I mean, Chin, uh, Beijing Foreign Minister Chen Gong, he was he was quite direct <laughs> over the weekend, sending a message to Japan saying, like, just don't do it. Uh, ben, do you think this will give them pause, or maybe even give the U.S. pause?
1: Maybe to some extent, but I, I think that the uh, the decisions have been made about how to better control the uh, the chip supply. Uh, you know, that that's I think something very strategically done now by by. The U.S. And, and Europe, for that matter, uh, it's also, I think, in in relation to uh, what you're seeing playing out um, in the technology space in general, and right, of the constant uh, uh, focus on on our national security through even apps like TikTok, it just indicates that there's a very strong political um, bipartisan, by the way, support uh, to to secure our, our data, and, and I think this is why. As much as China may may having strong rhetoric, that they're uh, it's not going to really change anything in terms of policy.
0: Mm. Uh, I'm wondering if this friction between the U.S. and China, particularly in tech, is going to be is, is one of the things impacting on Hong Kong's IPO market. Uh, you know, we kind of got used to being on top for a long time, and then I think the recent numbers just came out. Hong Kong has dropped to seventh spot on the uh, global IPO ranking. Revenue is down 52. percent I know a lot of people in this town. Uh, Kind of live or die by IPOs and, and working on them. W- what's going on? What? Uh, why is Hong Kong losing its luster?
2: I think a lot of that is just down to the COVID lockdowns. With clients unable to visit Hong Kong, unable to see client, uh, unable to see customers and companies, uh, has made that market very difficult. Whilst other markets have been open, so uh, just a natural. Uh, easing away. It's interesting that on Friday there are new regulations about smaller companies being able to come to IPO without having to show profits. So, you know, the HKMA is looking to try and uh, change that, but I'm not sure whether all those moves are going to be good ones for investors.
0: All right, Ben, uh, we'll give you the final word. We've got about 20 seconds left. Uh, Hong Kong, got some chance. Got a chance to get back on top? Yeah, for
1: sure. I think that the reopening is just meaningful, so that to, to Andrew's point, that, that was the effect on, on having the market being very depressed, so reopening it will bring capital eventually back. Besides that, there's ongoing here too in the U.S. focus on, on Chinese companies are listed here that are under the major scrutiny from an accounting point of view, so the, the relisting elsewhere, what's the best destination, that's Hong Kong, so likely Hong Kong will get a, uh, will climb in the ranks for the IPOs.
0: All right, we'll look forward to that. Uh, be good news for the city, uh, just like our good news on our plate of wind on the weekend at the Rugby Sevens. Thank you to Andrew Sullivan, founder at Asian Market Sense, Ben Emmons, principal and senior portfolio manager, New Edge Wealth.